experience together and perhaps maybe to see them a, a little bit. Uh, maybe it's a friend you've, you've known at church who's moving away because of a job change. You've known them for many years. Maybe it's a son or daughter who moves away from your home, going to school, getting a job. Maybe it's a parent who lies on the deathbed. For various reasons, circumstances, they vary greatly. It's something that we all will experience, saying goodbye to a friend. Well, today, this morning, we say goodbye to uh, a dear friend. We say goodbye to the book of Philippians. This is my 32nd and final message on the book of Philippians. I thought I was going through at a pretty good pace. Uh, and as I emailed out, as I always do every week, to several pastor friends I know to pray for them. And they, um, they pray for me. What I'm preaching on, one said, wow, that's a lot. He said he only preached like 16, so I guess I go half as fast as my, my pastor friend does. Um, but it's been good. It's been rich. I don't feel like we've bogged down, but I felt like we have, have learned a lot and we're saying goodbye today. Now, Philippians is not going away, okay? It's still in every single one of your Bibles, okay? I'm not gonna, we're not gonna see it take wings and, and fly away today. Uh, you can read it anytime you want, but in terms of preaching it, we probably won't come back to this book. Uh, perhaps again, well, we'll visit, you know, maybe Philippians 2 in a time of um, uh, time of Christmas, maybe the gospel in chapter 3 especially, or, or zeal or prayer in, in chapter 1. Um, but, but I don't think we'll, we'll come back with the depth that we have, have gone before. There's just too many things in the Bible to preach. And uh, I've considered the book to be a dear friend, and I'm saying goodbye to it. However, I'm not the only one saying goodbye, because in some measure... These were the emotions of the, of the Apostle Paul as he penned these words in Philippians. Because shortly after finishing writing, he's going to take this manuscript and he's going to deliver it to Epaphroditus, who then is going to take it and deliver it to the church at Philippi. And as he gives it to Epaphroditus, he's going to say goodbye to his good friend Epaphroditus. He says in chapter 2, verse 25, Epaphroditus is my brother my fellow worker and fellow soldier. Meaning he's, he's, a, he's a fellow believer in Christ, that he is a, a brother. He is a, a fellow worker and a fellow soldier in that he has labored strong and hard for the work of Christ. And, and in fact, for the work of Christ, chapter 2, verse 30, he came close to death. So he may, as he's approached death once before for the work of Christ, he may approach death again for the work of Christ. Paul may never see him again. He's going to say goodbye to Epaphroditus. But... On top of that, he's saying goodbye to the Philippians. These are, these are the last words he says. And they are forming a, a sort of greeting and goodbye, if you will. And you'll see that as we go along. But I want to read these words that Paul writes. Parting, last, final comments as he says goodbye. He says, verse 20, Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I see three lines of thought here in these words. The first one comes in verse 20. It's simply this. Glorify God. It's our call right here. So glorify God. I trust that you can see that. Paul says, Now to our God and Father be glory and be the glory forever and ever Amen. What a fitting end to the gospel, to the, 
the book here of Philippians. It's a doxology, if you will. Doxa is a Greek word for praise. It's a, it's a word of praise. A doxology. That's what it is. God is identified here as our God and Father. God, the one who created and rules the universe. Father, the one who loves and cares for our soul. Paul says that his praise is to be unending. It is to be the glory forever and ever. You survey the Psalms, you see that that's the heart of the psalmist. Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. Or Psalm 71, verse 6, My praise is continually of You, O Lord. Or Psalm 70, verse 4, the call comes to us, Let all who seek You rejoice and be glad in You. And let those who love Your salvation say continually, Let God be magnified. So the, the call of our lives to continually praise God both now and forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. John Paul says, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. How is He going to be praised but through us bringing it about? In fact, in many ways, that's why He has created us. Chief end of man is to what? Love God and enjoy Him forever. Right, giving great honor and, and praise to God. In fact, that's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It's glorifying Him now in this life and in the life to come. But And how's it going to happen? But that we glorify God in what we do. And So I ask you, are you glorifying God? I mean, it's one thing for Paul says, yeah, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And we go our own way and disregard God and not praise God, not, not glorify God. That doesn't work. If, if Paul is praying this and we are praying this, we're joining him in that, then our call is to glorify God as well. Now, you might simply think that glorifying God is, comes through singing songs on Sunday, right, as we have done this morning. Right? You stand and enthusiastically and with great volume and heart and passion. You sing, but glorifying God is way more than that. In fact, I would say that's just a tiny sliver of what glorifying God is about. Glorifying God is accomplished whenever... You live for God or for His glory. Whether it's singing in the church, whether it's praying in your home, whether it's preaching the Gospel to your neighbor, your friend, your family members, or whether it's confessing your sin, or whether it's letting the fruit of the Spirit be put on display in your life. That glorifies God because who creates the joy or the love or the peace? It's God who works in you and puts that out and people can see God in you then. Or whether it's reading the Bible or other Christian literature to focus your hearts toward God or whether it's working a long, hard day to provide for your family and thus fulfilling six-sevenths of the fourth commandment which says to work six days and then rest one. Or serving at vacation Bible school like many will do this week. Or obeying any command in the Bible gives glory to God. Or, or believing in the Gospel gives glory to God. When, when you say, God, it's not what my hands are bringing to you, but simply to the cross I'm clinging, that gives great glory to God. Or whether it's loving your wife, men, fathers, on this Father's Day. Or whether it's serving your husband, wives. Or whether it's submitting to the government, Romans 13, or whether it's training your children in the ways of the Lord, or countless other ways that you can glorify the Lord that I'm sure you can easily think of. You can just write some specific ways, write, write down, you can write a list out there really easily for yourself. 
See, glorifying God is, is living a life such that God gets put on display through us. Jesus said, let your light shine among men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. So he's talking there about not just even giving praise and singing to God or, or worshiping or praying. He's talking about just living a life that's pleasing to God, having others see that and saying, wow, God be glorified for that life. Have you ever thought about that? That just your Christian life as you live it is, is a way for others to see and glorify God that's not just even you straight for, forth? I mean, that's the case in Philippi. Turn back to chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And as Paul thanks God, he is glorifying God in that way because God is glorious. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Verse 5, here it is. In view of your participation in the Gospel... From the first day until now, Paul is thanking God and praising God for the way that those in Philippi were participating with him in the gospel. In other words, he was praising God because the Philippians were mission minded. And as he saw us, they were mission minded. That's the fruit of God in their lives. And they were seeking to do good deeds out of that. And therefore, then God was glorified as Paul thought of them or saw them. And in chapter four in recent days we've been, that we've been looking at, we saw just how financially that can help as they were supportive of the Apostle Paul Right, supporting financially. But, but their mission-mindedness was more than just giving money to the Apostle Paul. It was also their very lives. The church in Philippi began with Lydia, a seller of purple fabrics. You can read that in Acts 16. And then shortly thereafter, the Philippian jailer was converted. Paul and Silas were beaten in prison, or beaten and then thrown into prison. They're still singing hymns of praise to God. And that earthquake came and the Philippian jailer saw something different then. What must they do to be saved? He directed them to believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and all your household. And through their conversion, then it, it spread to others. And, and it wasn't just them, but they were then talking with others. And the gospel was spreading because they were mission-minded, running to share the gospel with other people they knew. And then they come in relationship with them and then they come into the church. Because, look at, look at Philippians, it is written to the church. The church was established. It wasn't just Lydia and the Philippian jailer. It says right this, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Overseers are, are another name for elders or pastors. And deacons, a, a full-fledged church government was set up with the leaders. Overseers and deacons, that means they had enough people that they said we need to have a formal leadership set up at our church. And so, how else did that church grow? But through these people just talking and sharing with other people that they knew because they were on mission so as to help these people, to direct them to Jesus. And people were repenting and confessing their sins, believing in Christ, were being baptized, were being added to their number. They share with their neighbors, their family, or those they knew in the public places, or at work, in the marketplace, on the road, wherever there were people. Listen, these people in Philippi were mission-minded, and that then gave praise to God, whether it's financially or whether it was spreading the gospel through those they knew. And so it comes back to you. Are you giving to God as these Philippians did? Financially to the mission, what God is working in this life, or even evangelism, reaching out to people. You know, there's a big spectrum of how evangelism works. Either by spreading out tracts or preaching at places like Ryan does and Tom does and Sean is here. He joins them oftentimes. Or whether it's just loving your neighbors and serving your neighbors and, and reaching and preaching the gospel to them. One is of depth, one is of breadth. And there's a whole variety of ways in between. But it means that you've got a heart for lost people and you're longing to reach out to them to see them come to Christ. 
Are you glorifying God by being on mission? Are you glorifying God just in your own life? Just saying, God, whatever my life is, it is all for you. Remember that that dialogue that Paul had with himself at the end of chapter one when we were at that? When he he was just deciding about, you know, he's in prison awaiting his verdict about whether he's going to live or whether he's going to have his head chopped off. And he's saying, right, Philippians 121, let's say it together. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says, you know, if I'm going to live, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to, my living is Christ and it's going to glorify God. And yet if I die, it's gain because God is glorified through the death of martyrs. God is glorified when Christians are put in prison and they respond humbly and gently. Can you say that? Can you say Philippians 1.21? To live as Christ, to die as gain? I think that's the heart of what it means to give glory to God. Because the life of a believer is one that continually gives himself to God. Right? You, you acknowledge your sin before the Lord. And say, I, I have nothing, I am undone apart from you, O God. And you trust in Jesus who died for me and I, I openly I take Him and I, I, I long just to know Him and be reconciled to you through Jesus. That brings great glory to God. You remember when Jesus talked about the, uh, the, the, pres- the joy in the presence of the angels when one sinner repents? It's more than 99 righteous people who need no repentance. He said, Luke chapter 15, verse 10. When it's joy in the presence of angels, it's not so much the angels' joy, it's God's joy in the presence of angels. God has great joy and great delight and receives great glory when people turn from their sin to follow Christ. God receives great glory when people live for Christ, not seeking to bring glory to themselves, but glory to Christ. And in eternity, listen, there's opportunity to glorify God forever. Will you be one of those to join the four living creatures who day and night fly before the throne and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They sing that chorus over and 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 over. Day and night, they do not cease saying this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord the Almighty who was and is and is to come. Praise breaks out in heaven. Will you be among those who say, Revelation 19, at that final day when Christ finally sits on the throne, His enemies are subdued on His feet and He rules. Alleluia. The fourfold Alleluia. 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 For the Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Revelation 19, verse 6. That's a life that glorifies God. From repentance to life to eternity. And that's how Philippians 4, verse 20 is fulfilled when lives give glory to God. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So glorify God, church family. Glorify God. My second point. Greet the saints. Greet the saints. I get this from verse 21 and 22. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now, on the one hand, Paul is simply extending his greetings to all the believers in the church at Philippi. And, and don't we do this, right? When we say goodbye, that's the motif of my sermon today. We say goodbye. What, what's, what's the last thing often maybe you might say to somebody? Oh, send my greetings to your father, will you? Or send my greetings to your mother. Or, or send my greetings to a mutual friend that you see in your city that we don't see in our city. And I think that's what Paul is doing here. He's saying just send our greetings, right, from me to them. But it's bigger than just me it is not, it's not a call for one person to greet the saints. This is, this is a call to everyone who received the letter to greet every saint in Christ Jesus. And this was, let me remind you, written to an entire church. 
Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Paul's writing to the whole Philippian church. And he says to the whole Philippian church, I want you to greet everybody. Just think about that. These terms, don't let these trip up on these terms. Greet every saint. Saint literally means a a holy one. Is just another word for a, a Christian. Because by faith we are made holy. We're cleansed from our sins because Jesus took our sins his body on the cross, he gave us his righteousness, and, and thus then we seek a life of holiness. It's not some, some standard that only a few attain to. Every believer in Jesus Christ is a saint. And, and this book is written, chapter 1, verse 1, two saints, and these saints are called to greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Every one of you greet every one of you. Just think about that implication. Every believer greet every other believer. Now, in a church our size, which isn't a large church, that can be difficult in and of itself. If you need to greet everybody in the church, it's kind of hard. But, but it, it can be done. Like, let, let me tell you about a college experience I had. One of the things I, I really appreciate about the college I attended was Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois, a secular school. My kids won't ever go to Knox College. All right, Scott has saved us out of that. That was good for me. Uh, they have other plans for them. Um, but one of the things they did, I really appreciate this, was that um, they had an opportunity once a year where everybody in the school greeted everybody else. Now, there are about a thousand students in the school. And the day before the fall term began, everyone assembled on the lawn of Old Main. And, and they formed this, this big line and everyone was invited. That's students, uh, professors, staff coaches, workers, even children sometimes of uh, some of the professors got into the, the gig and it was an event. Everyone sought to, to attend. It was highly popular. It's called the pump handle because you're going to greet people. You're going to kind of pump the handle, I guess. You're, you're shaking hands with, with people. And, and my guess is that probably a thousand people were involved every year that I was involved with this because certainly some students didn't even make it on campus quite yet or some were off doing something else before school began. But then you had some professors. But it's a picture of a thousand people at this event. It began by the college president, in my days, John McCall. He would start the welcoming line and he would shake hands with the first person. That person then would stand right here. Then the second person in line would shake hands with President McCall and the second person and then form a line. And then President, the fourth person shake hands with the first three and then form a line. And then just go. And eventually you have these, these two lines. And this line, think, imagine this line a thousand long, just weaving all the way around the, the lawn. There's some videos you can see it uh, watching. It, it is pretty, pretty interesting. There's some videos I saw on, on YouTube. You can go through the whole thing in like two minutes. And he just goes, Wee! you know, he kind of runs down. I was trying to count them and it was close to a thousand people for sure but it was the, the 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 one event i would never miss that for the world at knox college because it was the one opportunity i had to meet, greet everybody on campus many people i didn't know they had name tags so i could greet them all by name if you wanted to um, um but there are also some people i hadn't seen in quite some time maybe just kind of coming back and i knew them last year and they were gone or maybe they spent that semester in france and or in Spain and gone. I just got to see them. Hey, we can, oh, it's good to see you. How was your time? It was really good. And then you're on to the next person. You just kind of just continued to go. And it was really a, a great chance to reconnect. Here's what one Knox student said. I think it's really awesome experience. It says a lot about what Knox is about. It's a community. And it brings everybody together when everybody greets everybody. And I say, I say this. 
if a secular college of a thousand students can see to it once a year that everybody greets everybody, can we not, as a church of a hundred, be able to greet each other perhaps once a month? How you doing? Are you greeting people, the church? This is a this is a command to greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Everybody. Everybody greets everybody. Now, maybe there's some people here at church that you don't even know. Like, you know, you, you come every week and you see them, but maybe you've never, you never really, you don't even know their names. Okay, you're like, hmm, I'm not sure exactly who that is. I've seen them and you kind of wave. Well, uh, we have a solution for that. It's called the photo directory. The reason we have created the photo directory is so that you can say, oh, that person, oh, who, who is that? Who is that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's the family. Okay, what are their names? Oh, yeah. Okay, I got it. I got it. And, in fact, you can do a little bit of studying here with the, uh, the photo directory. In fact, Phil Guskey, I remember he, he spent some time studying one week and learned all the names of our, the arm Brewster children. <laughs> it took a whole week. Right, but you said the next week you like greeted them all, all by name, and you've probably forgotten by now. But you, but you can make that sort of effort, right, to know everybody and to know everybody's name. Um, and since we put it out, there are a few families that have come new. Uh, it's time for us to update this. If you want to call Rock Valley Bible Church your home, just send a picture to Tina, address, phone number, email, all that kind of stuff, and uh, you can just get on here. And uh, we'll, we'll publish a, another one of that. But the whole idea of this, and in fact, you can see from these pictures, they're not real fancy pictures, okay? We're not, we're not looking for professional pictures here. I, I took a fair number of these just right after church. But if you've got a favorite family picture or a Christmas card picture, you say, hey, this really captures our family. But if you've got a funny picture, go ahead and do that. If you want to update your picture, go ahead and update it. You can do that. Um, I'll take a picture right after Right after church, anytime, just kind of click something, send it to Tina. You, you can do that. But the reason why is so that you can greet the saints. So that we can put down the inhibition of not knowing people. With this, it's on the back counter, it's on the back uh, paper rack. There's no excuse for not knowing everybody. I'd encourage you to make efforts to know and greet everybody in the church. And so that also comes with a, with a, a dual a dual effort. It says not only make the effort to greet people, but also says make the effort of being greetable. Right? If you're in the habit of just leaving, well, it's kind of hard for everybody to greet you because you're out the door too fast. So stay and linger. We do some things intentionally. The reason we have the snacks is to extend our, our fellowship time afterwards. I, I have sought to cultivate the kids. If you see after today, you go out there, the kids will be playing frisbee, they'll be playing games. The, the favorite game I remember the kids playing was run up the picnic table and jump over the fence into the playset area. Okay, that was one of the favorite games that I saw some of the kids playing. Um, lots of games they'll play. And, and the idea is just to help us to linger so we know each other. But notice here in verse 22, it's, it's bigger than just the church greeting everybody. It, it, it's also... The saints in Rome getting into the action. Look at verse 21. The brethren who are with me in Rome greet you. Paul, if you remember, is in Rome under house arrest. 
those with him, knew that Paul was writing, apparently this letter to the church in Philippi, and to a man or woman, they sent their greetings to the church. Paul, make sure to send them my greetings. Make sure you send them my greetings. Okay, okay. And rather than writing everybody's name out, which Paul does in other epistles, lest he missed anybody, he says, all the saints greet you in verse 22. All the saints greet you. Everyone in Paul's company sent their greetings to Philippi. And notice here that this is a church-to-church sort of greeting. Now, there are many people probably in Rome that didn't know the people in Philippi, but they're extending their Christian greeting, a Christian grace to greet one another. In some ways, I think this is like when I go in a foreign land and, uh, and maybe, Becca, you had this experience, maybe you stand up in front of people and you, you need to say something that I'm travel a long way. Well, maybe I get preaching opportunities, so I'm in front of the church oftentimes. And I say, well, I travel a long way to be here. It's good to be here. I just want to encourage you, and I send my greetings from Rock Valley Bible Church in Loves Park, Illinois, and know that they, they are praying for you. And you don't know those people, and, but I know that you would want me to extend your greetings, and so I did that, and that's what the people in Rome were feeling, right? This attachment to people you've never met that's across the globe. But maybe this even happens to you at other times. I know it does to us. I'm sure it does to you as well, that whether you're near home or far home, Maybe you, you meet some other folks and uh, on a business trip or vacation or visiting relatives someplace or maybe you're at the store or strike up some conversation and for some reason you start talking to people. It's apparent that, that the one you're talking to is a fellow believer and there's this bond that forms with fellow believers and you rejoice in the work that God is doing in this person, in this church, wherever they are. Whether it be in this city, whether it be in other cities, you can rejoice at what God is doing in 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 this world because God is working in this world. And God was working in Paul's day. You can see that for sure in verse 22. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now, when Paul came to Rome under Roman imprisonment, the gospel had not yet been preached to Rome. You can read about this in Acts chapter 28. When he finally gets there, he finally reaches Rome as a prisoner and his his uh, missionary strategy is always to the Jew first and then to the Greek. So he's got to go to the Jew first. And so he, he makes mention to the Jews. He, he tells them, hey, I want to, want to come together. I want to tell you about this. He says, this chain, I, I am, I'm wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel, Acts 20:28. 20, and so the, the Jews were excited about the fact that finally a Christian has come to Rome. And, and they said this, we desire to hear from you what your views are. For concerning this sect, right, concerning this new way, concerning Christianity, we have, have known, it, it is known to us, it's spoken against everywhere. We, we know some about this, right? We've heard of Jesus, we heard he's claimed to be Messiah, but we really haven't, we've never heard it explained to us. We just know that people are against this thing. But Paul, now you're here, we would love to hear from you. But they, see, because they never heard it firsthand. And so on a day appointed, Acts 28 says that the Jews came out in large number to hear Paul. So Paul's under house arrest. They came into this, this house, whatever it was, in large number, whatever, whatever that was, 20, 50, I don't know. And he solemnly testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them concerning Jesus from morning until evening. And it's so often the case, the Jews rejected the gospel. So Paul said, he would turn to the Gentiles. He quotes Acts 28, 28, and they will also listen. They will hear. And indeed, they listened. Indeed, they believed. And there were some pagan Rome, Romans who heard the gospel. And they, they were from Caesar's household, whether that's the birth line of Caesar, whether it's servants in Caesar's house, whether it is the, 
some are part of the guard in Caesar's household. We don't exactly know, but some from Caesar's household right into the very right, president's house, to the kings, to the czar, the whole Roman Empire. They embraced the gospel where the Jews rejected. They embraced the gospel because God was at work. And they sent their greetings to Philippi because God is at work in the world. And, and when you send your Christian greetings to other Christians and when you meet other Christians, there is this bond that you have. Paul's describing here. And Paul's simply acknowledging that work. And when you greet another fellow believer in Christ, you're just acknowledging that work of God in them. All right, quickly, my last point. We, we see that we need to glorify God. Verse, 21, verse 20. Our call is to greet the saints. 21 and 22. And finally... This one's a little more difficult, but I said long for grace. Long for grace. That comes from verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It's almost as if this is a, a benediction. It's almost as if this is a prayer of Paul's where Paul says in his final greeting, his final prayer, his final benediction, he's praying for grace in the lives of the believers. And so I, I, I took this and said, okay, if Paul's praying for that in our lives, ought that be something that we long for, that we desire. I mean, if Paul wants that for us, ought we not to desire it? And I just say this, grace is the most beautiful thing in the world. Grace is the most beautiful thing in the world. If God is giving us, it's God giving us what we don't deserve. An acronym which is used, which is perfect, God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Because God has given to us riches at the cost of His Son on the cross who died. And there's no better way to illustrate this than to look at chapter 2 of Philippians. Chapter 2, verse 5, which is really this call to be like Jesus. Have this attitude in yourself who is also in Christ Jesus. Here's what Jesus did. This is grace. This is pure, unadulterated grace. Who, although He exists in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus knew and experienced pre-creation life within the Trinity with God, face-to-face fellowship among the the members of the, the Trinity. And yet... For our sake, He didn't remain in heaven. It's the the song we sang today. He left the breath of heaven to breathe the breath, dust of earth. How's it go, Ryan? He left the breath of heaven to breathe the dust of the earth. Right? The smooth, fragrant, pleasant trees of the Trinity to then catch the dust in in His lungs. For us, He came to earth. That's what verse 6 is talking about. Verse 7, he emptied himself. Everything that means for God to become man and and, uh, for him to be localized in one place and for him to take on flesh. He made himself nothing to be with with us. He veined himself. He made himself a nobody. He was born in a a nobody village. The village of Nazareth. Born in a little village called Bethlehem. Growing up, a humble son of a carpenter. But God was with him. And just as been prophesied of him, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We did not esteem him. And 
So we crucified Him instead. And although Jesus lived the perfect life, doing good and teaching righteousness in the kingdom of God, at the urging of the Jews, He was condemned to death by Pontius Pilate. He died the worst death imaginable. Death on a cross, stretched out, naked, bare, pain, struggling to believe. And yet His death simply wasn't any death. As John Owen said, it was the death of death and the death of Christ. As we can say that His, his death was for us. That We sang a couple of weeks ago that, 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 that maybe last week, the mighty cross has become a tree of life to me. That, that, that which is a, a cross of death has become life to us because God has done that through Christ. His death was with a purpose. It was entirely unjust. But the unjustness of it is what makes it for our sin. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. He died that we might live. And so that through faith in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. Through faith in Christ, we have a righteousness that we could never earn of ourselves. And Paul explained that in Philippians chapter 3. After putting forth his, his great religious attainments, how he himself might have confidence in the flesh, he then says this, verse 7, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. This is grace. right? It's not that he's earning anything before God. And just in case you didn't understand, verse 8 says, More than that, I count all things to be lost. All of his righteous religious attainments. All the good things he did. And he says he considers them as rubbish. Diaper residue is what he's calling it. Consider rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. In other words, it's not, it's not the works or the righteous things that I do. And nobody could top the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul didn't get there on his works. None of us will get there on our works. But rather, it's by a, a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. And that's the epitome of grace. We believe and we get righteousness. It, it says right there, right at the end of verse 9, the righteousness which comes from God, right through Jesus, His sacrifice upon the cross, Him dying for us, on the basis of faith. We don't earn it. We simply believe. This is the good news. This is, that's what gospel means. Gospel means good news. And this is the best news in the world that Christ died for our sins. And in this truly, we can rejoice. We can, Philippians, right? Rejoice in the gospel. We can do that. And Paul's desire, if you look at what he says here at this very last verse, it said, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That is, it would, it would penetrate into your inner man. That, that this grace would, would come into our, the recesses of our hearts. That it would be known and experienced and loved. And, and notice here, it's not merely that the, the knowledge of God's grace be known by us. It, it's, it's that Paul wants God's grace to be in our spirit, to be felt and experienced with our whole being. It's not about God what we know. It's God's grace that we experience. And in accordance to the application of my third point I hear, I just say this. Do you long for this grace? Do you desire to experience this grace more deeply in your spirit? Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, right? That I may know Him. 
Paul just had this urging that he might know Jesus. And part of that knowing is that I might know his grace. And his knowing isn't just an intellectual knowledge. It's that I might know him as a person. That I might know his grace personally and intimately. That it would penetrate deep into my spirit. As we say goodbye to Philippians, I simply say this. May the Lord bring his grace into our spirit so that indeed we might rejoice in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, this, this morning we say goodbye to a, a good friend. God, Philippians, which is such a rich book, a personal book. God, a book written to a, a dearly loved church. Written by one who was dearly loved. And Lord, I pray that we would learn its lessons and learn it well. There's much that Paul has taught us here of rejoicing just whenever Christ is proclaimed, whether in pretense or in truth, as long as the gospel is proclaimed, in this I will rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. God, it takes a measure of humility which comes in chapter 2. Not looking out to our own interests, but for the interests of others. God, I pray that you'd smash our pride, that we would be humble people. God, those who aren't grumbling and complaining, but those who are helping and serving. Father, may we know the depth of relationships that Paul had with Timothy and with Epaphroditus. God, and how Paul was willing to give that up for the sake of the gospel. And Lord, protect us from the evil workers and the dogs and the false teachers who set their minds on earthly things, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. But may we set our mind on where our citizenship is. It's in heaven. God, that this would, would cause us to press forward towards the goal, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to stand firm by rejoicing in you and by everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, making a request known to You, and that we would set our minds on the, the true and the honorable and the right and the pure and the lovely and the things of good repute and the excellent things and the things worthy of praise, and that we would be a generous church, God, that would give much to Your cause throughout this world. And today, our, our lesson, Lord, I pray that we would glorify You with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength that we would be those who would also greet one another in genuine Christian love and service. And Lord, most of all, that we would long for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, God, who alone is our, our hope and our propitiation, our righteousness, our, our justice. God, that we might rejoice in the Gospel, that that would truly be our joy, that we might share it and spread it out of an overflow of what we have known and experienced. So God, we, we delight in that. We thank You, God, for Jesus. We thank You for this book of Philippians. May it always be a treasure in our hearts. We remember it, reflect upon it, read it again year after year after year. God, bring these truths to our remembrance. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, just a word about what's coming next is I hope to do some psalms uh, here in the summertime. Psalms is a great thing to do in the summer because so many are on vacation, you kind of miss doesn't have to be a series. Um, also, I'm hoping to start Leviticus in the fall. So you can just pray for me with that. Shadows is what we're going to be looking at that will point us to Jesus. Oh, maybe about ten sermons or so in Leviticus. We're not going to go as slow as we went through Philippians. All right, We'll be going much faster, but it's going to really point us to and draw us to Christ. We think about 
Christ being our sacrifice. We think about Christ being our high priest. We think about Him being our atonement, the day of atonement. We think about the year of the Jubilee and how He set us free. We think about how we should live in the the ways of righteousness and how we can be cleansed from our leprosy and and eating our foods. So, I'm really excited about it. I I trust you will be too. I think it will be a great time. It's challenging for me, so I continue to read and study on that so you can pray for me.